Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. I would like to welcome Ryan Daniels to the podcast. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, Pete. How are you? Excellent. We've got Ryan on episode 34 to discuss Fremantle and West Coast as they head to the Gold Coast prior to round two. But first, we'll hit up Ryan with a couple of off-topic questions. As we get into it, your thoughts on the Michael Jordan last dance doco, Ryan? Oh, uh, well, magnificent. If I had one word, I, I was um, back when Jordan was still playing, when he was around the sort of 92, 93 era, was when I first got into basketball. Like every other kid around that age, I was probably about 10, 11 at that point. And so Jordan was a god. Um, and everything that came with the NBA around that was um, was my life. Basketball cards and once a week trying to squeeze NBA action on, a, on Channel 10 on a Saturday mm-hmm. morning and all those kinds of things. Um, it was just, it became my life. And, and I've never really dropped that basketball fandom. I've, um, I've kept my relationship, my long loving romantic relationship with the NBA since then um, I would watch two three games a day when the season's on maybe more some days so um, it's, it was fantastic from that point of view and I, what I really liked about the doco series was you could watch it um, as a purist like myself who knew every single one of the players they were talking about I knew who Scotty Burrell was before I knew Ron Harper I, it, the sort of the, the smaller characters that maybe the casual fan would know I knew mm. them intimately but also, it was also great for people who had no idea. Obviously, everyone in the world knows who Michael Jordan is, but maybe they didn't know much about Pippen or they didn't know much about Phil Jackson. Or And I think that was the, the, the real secret to why it was a success was the fact that it catered to your absolute basketball nuffies like me and your complete casual fans who had no idea other than the fact that Michael Jordan makes shoes and he could dunk. Um, so I think it really managed to be very well-rounded um, and I watch a lot of sports tacos, as I'm sure you do as well, Pete, and most of the listeners. Uh, it's For me, it's it's in the very top Mount Rushmore of, of that. While we're all making lists about things, it's, it's one of the great uh, sports tacos of all time, I think. Yeah, I loved it. I'm up to repeat number two. What was your... Uh, do you have one standout moment that, that like, really sold it to you? Is there, I know there's a lot of great ones, but is there one in particular? I've got three takeaways. The LeBradford Smith game, where MJ made up a story yeah. that Smith had called him Mike during a game or post game, yep, uh, which motivated MJ. And on a back to back Washington Bullets game, Michael Jordan used that as motivation into his second game and pretty much nailed what LeBradford Smith scored in a full game in a first half. The second one was the winning mentality of MJ. I thought it was just quite elite, and it still is now. I mean, you can put a dollar on a table and he'll fight for every uh, second of that dollar, and it's just just so competitive. And the third one was the initial Nike deal, where they were hoping for about four million in sales over the life of the contract, and I think it was about a three or four year deal and they cracked approximately 120 million plus in the first year. So they were my three takeaways and obviously the Nike brand uh, built on MJ back in the mid 80s still stands strong today. What are your three takeaways there, Ron? Yeah, I look, those, those are three excellent ones. Um, for me, I sort of, there's some specific moments in it that stood out for me that, that moment after they'd beaten 
Seattle, I think it was, when they and Jordan was in the room and he's grabbing the basketball and he's howling on the ground. Like, yeah. I, I mean, we've over the years we've seen just about every piece of Michael Jordan vision and highlight. Somehow we'd never seen that, and we and even if we had, we'd never heard it. We'd yeah. never heard that audio of him screaming. Yeah. Um, obviously, all the emotion of you know, winning and obviously his dad not being there and all of that. Everything that had transpired in the two to three years earlier, I, I just it was just so raw. Um, Mm. And I'm someone who gets I get caught up in the emotion and the romance of sport. Like that's for me, that's the stuff that really jumps off the page. I love the Scotty Burrell stuff. I love that he was yeah. sort of calling him Scotty Burrell rather than Scotty. I thought that was yeah. fantastic, and I think it's going to live on. I think it, um, the name Scotty Burrell will be trash talked amongst basketball courts for probably for the next five to ten years. Anytime anyone's struggling, yeah. um, and I, and I thought that. Um, the competitive stuff really jumped out to me too. I, like we'd all heard that he was a maniac with that sort of thing, but I, I love that he just kept making lists, you know, and you know, he, anyone who slighted him in any even small way, and he, yeah. he was even admitted that the LeBradford thing didn't even happen. Yeah, he just created this fight out of nowhere. Um, I love that. And I, and I remember reading in the lead up to it that, oh, Jordan's, uh, thinks that people will dislike him after this and that he comes off as a, a psychopath and, Competitively, uh, the opposite happened for me. I respected him even more. I thought, yeah. you know, that one-eyed mentality. I will do what it takes to win, and the results are there. I mean, the guy. We don't know what his personal life looks like. I thought that was a bit odd that the family was rarely in it, but um, professionally, far out. I mean, there's not many in the world who have achieved in their field what Jordan has in in basketball and in business. So, yeah, I, I yeah couldn't fault it really. Yeah, the fabrication of stories to get him motivated. And for me, it actually, I agree with you, yeah. it, it elevated him in my eyes as an absolute goat. Uh, we'll get on to some footy, Ryan. Uh, will you be heading up to the Gold yep. Coast as a correspondent for Seven? Yes. I w- well, I say yes. Um, I'm finding out now just how difficult it is to get exemptions and, and and do these things. So uh, the plan is for myself and uh, cameraman here from Seven Perth to go to Gold Coast for at least for the five weeks that's planned at the moment. Um, It may extend uh, beyond that depending on a number of factors. But the plan is to go. um, I've spent the last 10 days dealing with the Queensland uh, government and the health department in particular, trying to get an exemption, trying to get a free entry in to not have to quarantine when I get there. Um, it's it's more difficult than it sounds. Uh, I did. I was a bit naive. I think I thought, oh well, I'm going there to cover the footy. I'm sure it'll be easy. But yeah. it's not necessarily the case. I'm sure we will get there. I've been dealing with the AFL as well, and they're, they're going to hopefully make things a little easier. Yep. But um, things are tight, and it, it's sort of a bit of a reminder as to where we're actually at. It's not just as easy as just getting on a plane and jumping over there. But um, the plan is to be over there, to be at every training session, to be at every press conference, to uh, and all the things in between. Um, and I can tell you, if I can get in there, I've been gifted um, a small role within the coverage for Seven. There's a couple of games that are going to be broadcast by Seven up there, and I'll be doing the boundary alongside Luke Hodge. So that's that's some exciting news, personally. Um, there's, uh, I think, two games that I'd be a part of, which, uh, which yeah, would be an absolute thrill. Outstanding. And for those who don't follow Ryan on Twitter or track his channel 7 news, uh, very much you need to, to be a part of information for the 2020 fantasy season. Okay, Ryan, what concerns, if any, do you see rising for Fremantle and West Coast on the Gold Coast? Oh, there's plenty. Um, Basically, you're looking at 
something that's completely abnormal here uh, for many, many reasons. Um, and I'm not, I think I'm stating the obvious there in some ways, but yep, yep. you're taking um, 44 players, basically, give or take a couple. Um, you're taking probably 30 staff by the time they get approval. So uh, roughly somewhere between 70 and 80 people per club. You're taking them to um, a place that's about as far away from WA or from the West Coast as you can um, in Australia, and you're sticking them in a resort, um, and both teams are going to be in there, and then they're staying there for five weeks. The families can come and go, but from most of the players that I've spoken to, and we're talking mainly West Coast, Fremantle, don't have a lot of dads they have two or three um Mm -hmm. but west coast have a lot of dads a lot of kids um and the majority don't seem to they either won't be bringing the families at all or they'll only be bringing them for a very short period of time and that's because to get back into wa there's a two-week quarantine Uh, a lot of those kids are young some of them are at school age so they're at school some of their partners have jobs that they can't leave so it's not as simple as great, your families can go, off you go, everyone have a five-week holiday in a resort. It's, it's not like that. So they're making significant sacrifice from a family perspective. And, and to put that in perspective, I did an interview with Will Schofield two days ago, um, who still isn't 100% sure he can even go because Will is one of those players in the 14th year of his career. His contract isn't super high paid. I mean, he, he he signed on last year for one last year and from what I'm told, it was on the lower end of the scale contract-wise yep. and a lot of his earning was tied to match payments. Yep. Now, if, if Schofield, who's often in and out of the best 22, um, depending on who they're playing, if he goes to the Gold Coast and doesn't play for five weeks in the main team, then he may not earn any money or he might earn as little as, say, 1000 to $2,000 in that five-week period. Wow. Uh, he can't earn any more money than that. So it might actually be more beneficial for his family for him to stay here and work on his side businesses, which are going quite well, uh, and his wife can continue to work and not have to look after their one-year-old. So this is, I mean, it's a complicated situation. Now, Schofield, as he says, he'll probably end up on the plane, but it's not as simple as just going, great, let's go play footy. Um, These are real problems. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going to bob up. Um, They can only bring a certain amount of staff. That's going to cause issues. There's people going stir-crazy, but if they can't play golf and they can't go surfing and they can't um, do the things they would normally do at home, even go down to the shops, to the supermarket, it's going to it's gonna cause a bit of uh, anxiety and a bit of stress and a bit of strain. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, the list is, is, is right up there. And look, I think West Coast are pretty well, ha- well placed to handle it. They're very mature and Fremantle, their expectations aren't quite what West Coast are in terms of finals and premierships and things so mm. they'll, they'll survive it but it's not going to be easy logistically it's a big task it is like it's not as simple as just moving those people you've got to move all the equipment and you've got to move you know all the training gear and all the clothes and everything and it it's it's monstrous like it, it the, the sheer um size and scale of the logistical it's mm. it's the biggest we've ever seen no let me put it this way no team's have never done anything like this in yep. 120 odd years of footy. Where do you think the 2020 Derby will be played? I think it'll be played in WA. Uh, I th- I'm not sure when. Um, there's a couple of plans in place, loose plans. Um, and when the first fixture came out, it was obvious that there was not going to be a Derby in that first part of the hub. Um, a lot of people were confused. They wanted. WA teams to play their game here and then obviously do what like the showdown's doing and then go over to the hub then. And look, in some ways that would have made sense 
but West Coast and Fremantle officials early on decided that it was actually more beneficial and more flexible to keep it up their sleeves. Mm. That's because if, if let's say the, four, the first four games comes to an end um, and the WA borders are still shut and the quarantine is two weeks. But let's say Mark McGowan and his government say, we're going to open the borders in three weeks. So in that scenario, West Coast could come back here and Fremantle, sorry, could come back here, quarantine together. There's already a plan in place that they would do that at, at Crown, right next to Optus. They'd all quarantine for an extra two weeks in there. And during that quarantine period, play the derby. Yep. They okay. don't need other clubs to fly in. Yep. So that, that is a real possibility. Um, that's all about flexibility. And that's all about the possibility of, say, because as, as we're finding out what's happening in WA, I'm sure it's the same in other states, is the government re- announces things maybe a week or two in advance. Yep. So I think they're hoping that, you know, once this comes to an end at the hub and it gets to sort of mid-July, um, the government says, look, we're going to open everything July 30. And they go, okay, great. Maybe let's play one more game in this hub. Then we'll go back. We'll quarantine for two weeks. We'll play a derby behind closed doors in quarantine. All our staff have been quarantining. We can do this quite easily. Um, and then after that, the borders are open and Collingwood and Adelaide and all these other clubs can start coming into WA and yep. WA teams can fly to Melbourne and fly back without any, any hassle. So that's one of the plans. The other one is to keep it as absolutely as long as possible um, so that there, if there is a remote chance of even two, three, four, five, ten thousand fans being at games, which we're starting to see might be a possibility, yep. um, that could be the last game of the season and we could they could give something back to members. So they're keeping it up their sleeve. I think... They'll do everything in their power to make sure that game is not played in the hub because if there's one game they can save, it's that one. Yep. Um, so watch this space. But I think the quarantine derby is probably the most likely. Well, that's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. So we'll get on to some footy news now. We'll hit up West Coast. Nick, that newie was used at the ruck position in the first 19 of 21 centre bounces prior to the final few minutes of round one. Do you see Eagles coach Adam Simpson persisting with the dual ruck setup in shortened games this season? I do, I do, but in a hybrid version of that. I can't see Tom Hickey playing too many games if Oscar Allen is fit and if Bailey Williams is ready and if Nathan Vardy is fit. I think in some ways Hickey would be the last choice amongst those four guys. Yeah. They'll play one of those four. 100%. They will definitely play either Oscar Allen, Tom Hickey, Bailey Williams, or Nathan Vardy. Nick Nat won't go into a game with no other recognised Ruckman. Just won't happen because of his injury history. And also, as we saw against Melbourne, as you say, he was 19 in the first 21 or 19 and 20. And it wasn't until the end when they'd won the game and then he came off and Tom Hickey had a run. Yep. I think Hickey got his only disposal in the game in the last minute or something like that. Yep. So. I think ideally they wouldn't be bringing Hickey in because he's, he's fairly one-dimensional. Oscar Allen is the obvious one. He's, he was injured to start the year, so he couldn't get in that round one team. But they love Oscar Allen. He's a big part of their future. Um, if he's fit, he's in their best 22. And a lot of the space last year when he was playing, he was the backup ruckman while playing uh, forward as well. And he can also go down back. So, And Oscar Allen's been flying. He had a really good isolation. He's been training really well. Um, yesterday in their match simulation, he did some rucking. He was on the team with Nick Nat and was the forward slash ruck. So expect Oscar Allen to probably have first hands on that job. Bailey Williams, as I mentioned, I think last time we did this pod, was one to watch. Uh, and he still is. 
but he's not going to get the spot ahead of Oscar because Oscar's done the apprenticeship already. But if there is another injury, I think Bailey Williams will get a shot at some point. But um, yeah, Oscar Allen's probably the man. So how do you see the development of Bailey Williams playing out this season? I think you'll get some time. I think you'll get some, some game time for sure. It sort of depends on the, the health of Oscar. And in that respect, with Josh Kennedy and, and Jack Darling and some of the key backs, Oscar Allen's flexibility, um, if one of those guys goes down, if let's say Kennedy tweaks something and he has to miss two weeks, well, Allen will move into that forward role um, and work with Jack Darling, which would then create some space for a Bailey Williams. As I said, I think if Oscar is healthy and Nick's healthy, if Nat's healthy and... There's no other injuries in key positions. I think that Bailey's probably not playing in the best 22. Mm. But I think they want to give him a chance. They like this kid. He's, he's got a bit of moxie. He's got a bit of sass. Um, he's hard at it. He's got some skill too. He's not just a thug. Like he, he can take a grab um, and he, he's got a bit, of, uh, a bit of something, a bit of X factor. So I, I think they'd be desperate to get him a couple of games. What West Coast have done just quietly over the last few years while they've been contending is blood some of these guys, Oscar Allen, Venables. Uh, they, they, they haven't been afraid. Petrocelli played a lot last year. Rioli, Luke Ryan, uh, sorry, Liam Ryan. They're not afraid to play young guys. So, and they're very aware of not, not getting to a place in two years where they haven't developed anyone. Yep. So they want to play Bailey Williams. It's just, it's, it, and I'm sure we'll talk about Jared Brando. It's, it's similar. Um, they want to get games into these guys at some point. So he will get a taste. How much of a taste? Depends on all those other injuries that I mentioned. Okay, on Jared Brander, he played in round one, but he was definitely scratchy early. Mm. Do you think his spot in the team is secure? I think it's fairly secure. I think he'll get another go early. Um, He warmed into that game pretty well, ended up with a half-decent fantasy score by the end of the game. Um, Did play the role that he was being earmarked for along the wing. We know he can play forward at times too, and I think he was a... He was a centre-half back, I think, in his junior days quite successfully as well. So he's similar to Oscar Allen in a lot of ways. Um, and they're from the same draft. I think Brandon was taken maybe seven or eight picks before Oscar Allen was, but Allen sort of came on a bit quicker. Um, he was training the other day, Brandon, when they were doing their group of eight before they could do the full contact, he was in the group with the elite midfield. So it was Nick Natanui as the Ruckman, Tim Kelly, Luke Shuey, Elliot Yo, Andrew Gaff, Jack Redden, um, Dom Sheed and Jared Brander. So that's yep. a good sign. Yep. It's um, it's a sign that he was in the in the the main group of midfielders, and I believe he will get that chance again. Um, like with Bailey, but he's further ahead, Brandon. They spent a high pick on this kid. They want him to be good. They know he's got raw talent, um, and he does demonstrate it once every now and then. They'll give him every single chance to succeed. But this is a big year for him. If he can't grab a role by the scruff of its neck and make it his own. Um, or at least show some sort of semblance of that, um, his career starts to dwindle a little bit. So it's a big year for Jared Brander, and I think that they'll they'll back him in, at least for the early part of the season. Tim Kelly looked great in round one at centre bounces. Do you anticipate Adam Simpson will use him at a high rate through the midfield in 2020? Yes. Yeah, definitely. He's, um, he's earmarked for a role... Um, as, as, as a midfielder, essentially a permanent midfielder, but he will be the midfielder that pushes forward. So look for him and, and Luke Shuey to do that a lot. I think you'll find that um, Jack Redden will probably play more of a defensive mid sort of role. Uh, but Kelly's going to get plenty of the ball. He, he's an alpha male, Kelly. Um, 
when it comes to that midfield, and, and he's going to get his touches. He's going. He demands the ball, yep. and it finds him. Um, so I'm not worried about his role at all. I, I think if you're trying to figure out who wins and who loses in that West Coast midfield, well, I think Redden, as we saw in round one, was probably the biggest loser. Mark Hutchings is probably out of there completely, and he's just picked up an injury, which we can talk about. But, um, yeah, I'm not worried about Kelly at all. Yesterday they did some match sim, as I said. He was, he was again, a standout, um, winning clearances out of the middle, hitting up forwards. They want the ball in his hand. They paid a big price for him. Um, a lot of what they do will be built around Tim Kelly. So, yeah, I, I, he's going to have a pretty big season. A couple of players you just mentioned there. Jack Redden started on the outside as a result of the Tim Kelly inclusion at round one. That West Coast midfield is actually quite strong now, Ryan. Yeah, the, the depth is there. Um, when you start to rattle off, um, Luke Shuey, never been an All-Australian, but a Norm Smith medalist and the captain, and easily could have been All-Australian a couple of times. Andrew Gaff, uh, a two-time, I think, All-Australian, maybe two or three by now. I've lost count. Elliot Yo, the same. Um, the list, Tim Kelly, the, the list is getting very, very strong. Um, Redden is sort of, in terms of ball winning and um, you know an attacking role, he is going to suffer. He will, he will be needed to be the defensive mid, and uh, his role will probably change. So if you're, if you're holding Jack Redden in a draft league or a keeper league or that sort of thing, your, your value is probably going to be diminished slightly, yep. I would have thought. I'd be surprised if it's not. Um, and Mark Hutchings, he's sort of been the guy that, from the outside point of view, everyone would look at the Eagles' best 22 and go, oh, well, Hutchings, is the, he's the man to come out. But Adam Simpson loves it. And uh, I think he, in some ways, reminds him of himself a bit as a player, you know, a real tagger, has to fight for everything, uh, but does have a positive impact. Hutchings has picked up a four-week injury. Yep. He's had a clean-up on his knee, so that's not ideal for him at the moment. He really needed to sort of hit the ground running, and as I said, I think Redden will pick up a lot of the defensive mid stuff now. Maybe not a tagger, but in a sort of more of a defensive role. I, I think Hutchie will struggle this year to keep that spot. Yep. Um, he, he's held onto it like glue for the past couple of years and played a really important role. Yep. But Kelly's addition, it makes it really hard to see him holding on to that spot, um, even with Chris Master leaving, who played a lot of footy the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I think Adam Simpson at times last year proved that he was more an offensive midfield type ball winning coach rather than trying to shut opposition mm. players down. He's got, he's got the weapons to do that now, particularly with Kelly. Yeah, for So sure. it makes sense to play that way. For sure. What changes can you see from round one to round two? Um, probably not many. Uh, the one I sort of mentioned earlier was Hickey um, out and Oscar Allen in, I would think. Um, I'd be surprised if there's much more than that. Um, obviously, Willie Rioli's not available and he won't be for some time, so he would be the only other one that's really would be banging the door down if he was available. I think Brander holds his spot. Um, as I said, I think Williams misses out because of Oscar Allen. Uh, I think Liam Duggan did some great things off halfback, and I, I actually think he's going to have a really significant year, Liam Duggan. If I was trying to pick a roughie um, for fantasy, you're looking at a guy who's 23. He's in, I think, his fourth or fifth season. He's played a lot of footy now, um, and they want him to develop, um, to take that next step, and I think he's capable of doing that. So I've sort of bought a fair bit of Liam Duggan stock in, in most of the leagues I'm in, and uh, I think he could be a, he could be a real breakout player, but in terms of other changes, I can't see too many. They're a very settled lineup, West Coast. They're a very mature lineup. Um, but they played well in round one. Unless there's injuries that pick up, or you know, there's a tactical change they want to make, I can't see much difference uh, from that round one thing. 
for the listeners, I can't emphasize how important having Ryan on the Gold Coast during semi-shutdown in news and information is so important for fantasy this season. So again, uh, if you need to actually follow Ryan. So we'll head over to Fremantle now, and they'll be heading up to the Gold Coast as well. One defensive rookie most fantasy coaches are interested in this season is Hayden Young. Where do you think he is currently at, and how soon could we see him in 2020? Yeah, he's a tough one. I think when he first got picked um, of their three drafters, he looked like the most ready to play, probably just ahead of Caleb Sarong. Um, he had that injury in leading into round one. He'd done some really good things before that. Uh, he hasn't picked... He's over the injury now. He's been training fully. The problem for Hayden is where, uh, Fremantle's lost Alex Pierce and they've lost Joel Hamling, two very experienced key defenders. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, Hayden's not a key defender, but down back, they need experience. It's meant that Reese Conker shifted basically to a permanent defensive role. Um, Griffin Logue has to play now. He's yep. at the point, I, I, he'd probably be in his fourth season, I just off the top of my head. He needs to play as many games as possible this year because he was a top 10 draft pick. Um, they want him to be a, a key position, sort of the third tall down back. So he's going to play. Luke Ryan's obviously um, cemented his spot in the team and, and he's very important to what they do. So the issue, and then, sorry, you've also got Stephen Hill, who we'll talk about a bit later. I think he's pretty fit and pretty close to ready to go and uh, would probably be playing a role that Hayden would be looking to play. So the issue for Hayden is getting into that team early. Um, I just uh, heard Justin Longley was speaking on ABC Radio this morning over here, and he's a big advocate for the six on the bench because he wants to play some of these kids more yep. than he would get the opportunity to with four. So, uh, And he has specifically mentioned the draftees from last year, so he'd probably be desperate to get some games into Saron and, and Hayden Young. Um, I wouldn't think he'd be in the round two team. Uh, I think he'll get a chance probably while the hub's on if he can stay fit. Um, he's, again, Fremantle's in a spot where they need to play these kids. If they're, if they're banging down the door, or even if they're knocking on the door quite lightly, They'll get opportunities. They have to. Um, and he's physically close to being ready. Um, there's been plenty of players who've played that are skinnier and, and, and more raw than what uh, Hayden Young is. So I wouldn't be surprised if he plays within those, within the hub games, the first initial hub fixture. Um, and we'll definitely see him, barring any injury, we'll definitely see him at some stage this year. That Fremantle defensive mix will certainly be dynamic in the first few rounds when footy starts. Okay, Ryan, do you think David Mundy plays a high percentage through the midfield to support Nat 5? Yes, I do. Um, David Mundy's a midfielder. He's, he's way under the radar, probably on the East Coast. He's, one, he's been one of the... If you'd made a list of the 50 best midfielders in the AFL for the past 20 years, he's on it. Mm. Um, like He has been a remarkably consistent player. Uh, he's so strong in a contest. He's got the size... Um, and Fife can't do it alone. Like, there's obviously Adam Chera and Andy Brayshaw are going to be really good midfielders if they continue on the trajectory that they're on. But they're still kids. Yep. Um, we've talked about Sarong. He's not ready. Um, Reese Conker's gone down back. Um, Blake Akers and James Ace are basically being trained as wingmen along with Brett Bewley. There's not a lot of help there 
for a guy like Fife, and he needs David Mundy. And year after year, the probably the last three years, every year going in, particularly here on the West Coast, it's been, oh, Mundy, will, you know, they'll start to turn him into either a half-back or a half-forward, and it's time for the young blood. But the reality is they don't have anybody else. Yep. When Lockie Neal left, it really left a giant hole. Um, Connor Blakely hasn't come on like they thought he would, and he's out of favour a little bit. Mundy, they just need him in there, and he's good at what he does, and yep. he's still... He's still one of their, probably one of their five best players. There would have been a time last year when he was leading the BNF. That's how good he still is. So he's going to be a midfielder. He's going to play uh, big minutes in there. If he doesn't, then well done to Justin Longmuir for taking the hit and, and trying to get to develop some younger guys. But I think that just for everybody's well-being, Fife's, the young midfielders, for everybody, David Mundy's required in that centre circle for sure. Yeah, just at round one, I thought he was uh, sorely missed in support of Nat Fife when Jake Stringer yep. sort of was holding out Fife at those centre bounces. Do you see the role for Blake Akers predominantly playing out on a wing this season? Yeah, I do. Yep, and he's fit too. He's he's had that uh, little setback just before round one. He's yep. good to go. Um, the scratch matches that I was watching in the preseason, the training I've been watching recently, he was a big part of what they do, and he was lining up almost exclusively on the wing. Yeah. I think the thing about Akers, as we saw at St Kilda, is that he can kind of do a lot of things at an okay level. He can sort of be a half forward. He can play a little bit off half back. He can be an inside mid. He can be an outside mid. But he's never done any of that particularly well. Uh, I think that Fremantle want to see what he can do on that wing. They want to give him first crack at it. Um, as I said, he had a very strong preseason. He probably looked like the best recruit out of all that they picked up over the summer. Um, and I think that that will be his role. I'd be I'd be shocked if he's not doing that. If some injuries bob up, maybe he'll need to be shifted somewhere else. But yeah, I, I'd see him almost exclusively on the wing. And I think he's going to have a pretty good fantasy year too. How close do you think Stephen Hill will be at round two? <sighs> Stephen Hill is uh, he fits in that category of I feel zero confidence placing any bet on his health whatsoever. He's If he's fit, he's in their team, but they're so cautious with him. Um, every time he has a small flare-up with that quad muscle or the calf muscle, he gets pulled back. Um, it's been like that for the last three years. Yeah. And, and really over his entire career, there's always been concerns over soft tissue. My big concern would be that this down period probably hasn't been the best for him. Um, you know, like the soft tissue stuff is going to be a concern in the early going. So they would love him in their team. He's clearly in their best 22 and, and he's pure silk when he's up and going. Uh, will he play round two? I don't think so. If he's good to go, will he play round three? Yeah, if he is. But we can't bet safely on Stephen Hill at this point. Yep. It, it's almost like he's a bonus. He's, he's the bonus. He's the gravy on the roast. You know, he's not the potatoes, he's definitely not the meat. So if you're getting Stephen Hill, uh, whether it's just as a Dockers fan, it's it's a bonus. If you're getting him for fantasy, well, far out, you are a, risk, a bigger risk taker than I'll ever be. Um, saying that, you probably get him super cheap in a off a waiver wire if he's playing. And if he's named, and if he's named to play, it could be a cheeky pickup um, because they do want the ball in his hands. But I wouldn't feel good about investing anything significant in him, put it that way. If you're spending a trade on Stephen Hill, you've just got to be aware that he could be in one week and out the other. 100%. Brett Bewley was quite solid with his ball use in round one. 
moving back to defence to distribute the ball up onto the wing. Will that be his role in 2020? Yes. Um, Bewley was one that surprised me. I'd, I'd heard all the hype in the pre-season, and I believed it to a degree. Um, I was just a bit cautious because I know that the big word on him last year became, wow, this guy's a great kick of the footy. Mm. I wasn't 100% sure that was the case. I think he had some nice moments where he took some difficult op- options and hit him up. And for Fremantle fans, uh, they hadn't seen a lot of that, other than Stephen Hill types. They hadn't had a lot of great kickers in their team in the past decade or so. So I think when they saw those two things, it became this immediate sort of, wow, Brett Bewley's a fantastic kick of the footy. As I said, I'm not sure that's really the case. He did look really good in round one, and that shocked me. I was sort of not buying any Brett Bewley stock. I was a bit wary of a bit of too much of a hype train. But I'm happy to be proven wrong if that's the case. Um, he's come back with a shaved head. He looks like he's, he's uh, all business. Um, Fifey was raving about him in the preseason. He can run, that's for sure. He's a big body. So, look, I'm more enthusiastic than I was about Brett Bewley, and I think you're right about the role. That's that's definitely the role. Um, funnily enough, that's probably more slightly more defensive and less wing, but it's it's almost what Stephen Hill would be earmarked for. Yep. Um, a lot of halfback running, a lot of using off halfback and then pushing up onto a wing to, to distribute. Um, so Bewley's almost benefited from that Hill absence. Now, if Hill is healthy, it might complicate things a little bit for Bewley. But like yep. I said, the chances of Hill being healthy are pretty slim. Obviously, the players to come back into that defensive mix again at Fremantle, uh, the dynamic is going to be changed. So whether what we've seen in round one plays out throughout the season, it may actually not be the case, um, obviously with certain roles and certain players just moving around. So just moving the pieces around. So just got to be aware if you're selecting uh, Brett Bewley that uh, his role could slightly change, which would mean a... Uh, either a positive or negative influence into his fantasy scores. Okay, on to Andrew Brayshaw. Can you see him becoming an elite ball-winning player, especially with Nat Five getting all the opposition attention? Um, I can. I, look, I'm, I'm all in on Andy Brayshaw as he's going to be a successful AFL footballer. I reckon he'll be the next captain of Fremantle. Um, I'd be stunned if by the time he's done, he hasn't played 200 plus and have at least one All-Australian jumper and a BNF. And as I said, I think he'll be a captain. So he's going to have a fantastic career. I'm not yet completely sold on the fantasy aspect of it. Um, I tend to have this way of watching footy now where I can watch it from a uh, pure football perspective, whether they're going to be a good player or they are a good player. And also from a fantasy perspective, I've found a sort of a, a nice middle ground where I can split the two. Yep. Um, I think Andy might be one of those players that is more on the he's a better footballer than he is a fantasy footballer side. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I might be proven wrong there, but I'm yet to see anything where it's made me think that, wow, this guy is going to hit that sort of Tom Mitchell, Scott Pendlebury. And if you're asking what's his possible ceiling from a fantasy perspective long term, the, the career of Pendlebury would be the best case scenario. Yep. Best, absolute best case scenario, where he becomes Fremantle's lead midfielder. Um, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, they want the ball in his hands. That's best case. Now, is he, he's not as good a kick as Pendlebury, particularly early. Um, that need, that would need to be better. Um, but could he be Tom Mitchell? No. Could he be even Jack McRae? No. He's, too, he's probably going to attract more attention than McRae. Um, so I, I think he's probably best case scenario 
is to maybe be a player that can hit that sort of 105 to 110 when we return to normal minutes. That would be the ceiling for him in a fantasy perspective. So, better player than fantasy, put it that way. Uh, this season, I'm hopeful as an owner, but I'm just a little bit sceptical yeah. uh, for sure. Okay, how close do you think Caleb Sarong is to playing? Uh, well, he was fantastic in the preseason. There's a couple of intra clubs there where he was in the best on ground and he had some moments that you were like, wow, this kid's he's ready to go. Um, he was super close to getting in round one. I reckon he would have been the last man cut. And I was actually quite surprised he didn't get a game. Um, so if, as long as he hasn't regressed in any way, and from what I've seen, he hasn't, um, I would expect him to play very early. Okay. Um, Mundy and Akers being healthy doesn't help him, um, which means he probably doesn't quite squeeze into round two. Yeah. But he, he'll he get a chance as soon as possible. And as I said, but Longmuir was saying this morning he wanted six on the bench. Like, he specifically mentioned Caleb Sarong. So, look, he, he wants to play this yeah. kid. I think he knows he's going to be really good. Yeah. Um, so if I had to bet money on those three top 10 picks, Hayden Young, Liam Henry, and Caleb Sarong, um, the first getting to 50 games, I'd be betting on Sarong, okay. put it that way. Excellent. Connor Blakely seems to be on there out of it for you. Would this be a true comment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, I, which has surprised me over the years. And it's not an attitude thing. I, I, I've had a fair bit to do with Connor. He's a fantastic kid. He's a bit of a different thinker. He loves to surf. He's really chilled. Um, I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he meditates a lot, does a lot of yoga. He's, he's just a relaxed dude. Like yeah. um, he, he didn't have a great relationship with Ross Lyon from all accounts, um, but the players do like him. Um, it, it's been really shocking to me because I thought there was a period there before he sort of ran into a real injury cloud a couple of years back where he was really coming on nicely as a yeah. halfback, um, intercept sort of player who could spend some time in the middle. The issue with... Connor has always been similar to Griffin Lowe. The issue has been his um, disposal is quite erratic and his decision-making hasn't always been fantastic. Um, and when you're trying to make someone into a halfback, they kind of need both of those things to be really well, really high end. So I think that's what's held Connor out. Um, he's not done. Like they, he, There was some talk that there was a possibility he might move on to another club at the end of last year and they didn't want to let him go. So they don't. they're not all the way out on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but is he, I don't think they see him as in their best 22 which might surprise some and it kind of surprises me um, but yeah they, they, they're definitely banking on Aish and Akers being ahead of him at this stage and even Bewley like it's tough to fit in and with Reese Conker playing on halfback and Luke Ryan playing well as I mentioned um, even Ethan Hughes they really like Ethan Hughes um, they're all ahead of him so yeah I, I don't think he's in their best 22 without a lot of injury Toby Watson had some good moments in preseason. How far away do you think he is from playing? Really close. I think they really wanted to play. Um, in fact, there was a video that they leaked out that the Dockers um, well after the round one selection. But yeah. if Luke, Luke Ryan was under a bit of an injury cloud going into round one, and, and the, the discussion was basically, well, Watson will be the guy. Yep. So he, he's the next man in. And that's sort of, he's even ahead of Connor in that respect. And he, he's, he's a pure defender. Watson, um, they liked him when they picked him. When they picked him, they thought, geez, we might have stolen one here. He's a Swan Districts. No one knew who he, who he was on the East Coast. A late pick. Um, but immediately, you was sort of watched him in a couple of injury clubs in that first summer that he had, and you're like, well, this kid kind of holds his own. Like, yeah. he wasn't a star, but he didn't make mistakes. Like, he, he's just a really solid 
Sound um, player, yeah. young defender. Yeah, he, he doesn't he doesn't muck up. So I, I look, I think he'll get a chance. Uh, I, again, he was he was one of the two travelling emergencies with Sarong for round one. He was really close. Um, all he needs is an injury to one of those players down back. Um, I said it's probably that Ethan Hughes role or the Luke Ryan role or um, yeah, one of those one of those types that, that he would need to see move off to the side, whether it be injury or form, and then he could get a chance. But they do like him. They do like him a lot. What changes can you see from round one to round two for Fremantle? Well, Monday and Aethers, for sure. Uh, um, I think they'll be walk-up starters. Um, Mitch Croden, uh, Lockie Schultz, although Schultz played quite well. Uh, Croden, I suppose, is is the one. Um, they, I think they like his tenacity. He gives everything, and he can, he can kick a goal. Um, but I think if, you, if you're bringing in those two guys, you've got someone's got to go, and I think it's those two. Uh, I mentioned Ethan Hughes before. On the paper, he's the one that people go, Ethan Hughes, who's that guy? Yeah. Um, but he had a really strong preseason every time. You know those questions at press conferences where they say, who's been, who's surprised you or who's burning it up? Every player mentioned Ethan Hughes um, along with Brett Bewley. They were the two that kept getting brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks a million bucks. He has a kind of sneaky fantasy game. You might remember that year he played. I think he played the last game of the year, and he scored like a ninety something in the last game. So on all the drafts the next year, he was really high up yep. on the draft boards. On, on the back for, of one uh, game, yes. auto drafting. Yeah, yeah, because his average was super high. He does, he does have that sneaky game where he'll get a lot of plus sixes from marks. Yep. Um, and he was okay in round one. So like the obvious, the obvious one to look at is to say, oh, well, he'll come out, and someone like a Blakely will come in, but. That's not. I don't think that's the case. I think they've earmarked Hughes for a fairly significant role. So, for me, it's those two changes. Um, Croden and Schultz probably unlucky, um, but Akers and Akers and Mundy have to come into that team, and they absolutely will. Okay, so with Lockie Schultz, if Mundy comes obviously comes back into that team, does, does that mean Michael Walters then plays a more half forward type role? Yeah, well, the Walters, and we've spoken in great detail in the last time I was on this pod about Walters. You'd love to have two of him. Um, they love him in the midfield. Yep. Um, he's so dynamic in there. He gives them something that they don't really have. Um, and up forward, he's so dangerous. He's, you know, he's probably their best weapon, um, depending on how you feel about uh, Rory Lobb or Matt Tabiner at different times. Um, he's, he's electric. He's the second best player. Um, but I think I think ideally Walters we, we kind of know what he is and this is what he's going to be like for going forward. He's an all Australian half forward that can go into the middle for five to ten minutes a quarter and have an immediate impact. Yep. I think we saw in round one as soon as he got off the leash, yep. Frio got back in that game. Absolutely, um, they know that that's his best footy. So I, I think Longmuir may have learned a fair bit from that game one. I bet he wishes round two was much closer than it has been. Um, because I think he learned, oh, geez, hold on a minute, this guy is my best weapon. Everyone knows what Nat Fife is, but Michael Walters still somehow goes under the radar. This guy, is, uh, he's an absolute star. So, look, I think that's probably it. I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i not worried about Walters at all. I think he's going to have probably a career-best year fantasy-wise. Obviously, the produced minutes don't allow for the numbers, but in terms of a time on ground sort of thing, I think he's going to have a standout year, um, and I'd be, you know, I'd be buying Michael Walters' stock if, if I could get my hands on it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Ryan. Your information will no doubt assist fantasy coaches when footy returns. Do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you? 
Uh, yeah, um, on Twitter, I've, a footy rhino. I haven't changed that um, name since the old website, so I've just sort of kept it there. Hopefully keep it a little bit longer. Uh, if you're in Perth, Seven News, um, some of that stuff doesn't, doesn't usually travel over east. Uh, I also write a column in the West every week, um, sort of an opinion piece, which I'm really enjoying at the moment. Uh, and there's a podcast, The Hardball Gets, uh, we do a two-minute warning every Wednesday, which is we, we do sort of two minutes on each team, um, no more, no less. It moves through pretty quickly, and it, we try to sort of get to some stuff that normally uh, most podcasts don't get a chance to get to. So that you can find that on the Hardball Gets AFL show. That's the feed on, um, on the usual places you'd find podcasts. Um, and the Footy Rhino Fantasy Podcast, we still do. Fenn and I still bumble our way through, um, usually on a Thursday morning, and uh, I try to keep Fenn on his toes, and, uh, yeah, we'll get it done. So, yeah, that's yeah, all those places. I can categorically tell you, Ryan, that AFL Fantasy coaches are going to be relying on you quite heavily if you head up to the Gold Coast on your information <laughs> on Fremantle yeah. training, West Coast training, Gold Coast training, and any other parts of... Uh, the Queensland hub that you can get uh, that will be vital information for all of us. Yeah, I, I, I think the responsibility is heavily on my shoulders uh, and I accept that responsibility with great respect. <laughs> well, thanks again, Ryan. Uh, Jeff and I will be back midweek with episode 35. Until then, have a great day. And again, thanks again, Ryan. Beauty. Thanks, Pete.